the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Corinthians. Some in one camp that say, no, uh, at the end of the apostolic age, when the last of the apostles died, so did at least the sign wonders and spiritual gifts. And then you have other people at the other end of the extreme in another camp that says, no, 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 all all the gifts uh, are available and you need to have certain gifts. And if you don't have certain particular gifts, you're not even filled with the spirit. And frankly, you may not even be saved. So there's, there's the, that kind of argument going on relative to this subject. The Holy Spirit is a comforter and guide. He brings light to the darkness in our hearts, revealing sin and convicting us of things that are displeasing to God, as well as pushing and prodding us to actions and attitudes that glorify Him. This truth makes our arguments over the gifts of the Holy Spirit ironic and sad. In today's message, Pastor Gary will help us approach these matters from a scripture-based perspective, seeking to encourage unity in our mission and sharpen each other in the process. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection, subscribe to the podcast, or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. I'm going to read first... Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. So verse 1 says, Now, about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by, underline, the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. I've been around the church long enough to know that this subject can become somewhat controversial and divisive. I've seen people angry over the matter of the Holy Spirit. Uh, It's so sad that people would get angry over it. 
but angry in terms of uh, fighting with one another as to whether or not uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are still available today, still in practice today. And there are some in one camp that say, no, uh, at the end of the apostolic age, when the last of the apostles died, so did at least the sign wonders and spiritual gifts. And then you have other people at the other end of the extreme in another camp that says, no, 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 all, all the gifts are available and you need to have certain gifts. And if you don't have certain particular gifts, you're not even filled with the spirit. And frankly, you may not even be saved. So there's, there's that kind of argument going on relative to this subject. And what is so sad is we haven't learned over a few thousand years, uh, what Paul says when he opens up chapter 12, when he says, brothers, believers, sisters, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. There's still a whole lot of ignorance in the body of Christ today related to this topic. So uh, not that I'm going to clear up thousands of years of church division uh, in one or two Bible studies, but I hope that we will do our best to look into God's Word and to see maybe with fresh eyes, what does God say about this? Because I have to be honest with you, you know, as I grew in the Lord and matured in the Lord and my faith, um, I, I had to kind of depart from some things that I was spoon-fed uh, in the church that I grew up in. And there, there was not a whole lot of emphasis on the Holy Spirit in the church I grew up in, in the denomination I grew up in. There, and there certainly was uh, no teaching ever on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And there was this awkward kind of uh, code that people would use in conversation with each other about whether or not they even believed in the gifts of the Spirit. So, you know, I've had to personally come to the place where I've gotten to just, okay, what does God's Word say about it? You know, for, forget what you may have been taught or not taught. Some of it might be completely accurate, uh, and others of it may not necessarily be so. And so as it relates to this subject, we have to be very careful uh, I, I know there's going to be a lot of opinions about this stuff, even in this group tonight. Uh, but the, the goal is, what is, what does God say in His Word? Go verse by verse. We go precept upon precept. We try to understand exactly what is said and what is not only the text, but the context of the text, so we can understand this subject. So, the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and their proper use in the church. Why is Paul writing about this and why does he spend three chapters talking about it uh, in this first letter to the church of Corinth? Because they were misusing the gifts. These people were born-again believers who had been filled with the Spirit and had operational in the church these various gifts, but they were not using them properly. In fact, they were misusing them. Uh, there seems to be implied here, at least in chapter 12, this kind of contest where some people were going around feeling more superior because they had certain gifts than others who didn't have the gifts they had. That's why Paul spends a great section of chapter 12 talking about, for example, in verse 13, where he says, for we, are, we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. All right, so, and that's metaphorically to drink, to, to receive, to, to, you know, be baptized with. And so Paul's saying, okay, we, we have, this is one church, this is one spirit, we're one body, and we need to understand that no matter what gifts you have or may not have, no one person is more superior than another because of the particular gifts that God might have given them. 
And so he, he does this whole thing. In fact, he, he'll say further down in verse 22, in, in regards kind of rebutting those people who, who feel superior about their better gifts, he says in verse 22, he says, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So for those who are walking around feeling like, well, I have this gift and you don't have that particular gift, you're not as necessary in the body of Christ. Paul is rebutting that. He's like, no, 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 no. Don't you ever look down your nose at somebody else because they don't have the particular gift you have. Because in fact, those that seem, okay, that's the word, they aren't actually weaker. Those who seem to be weaker, like they have a lesser gift, are actually indispensable. And we need to understand how much we need each other and we need, we need all the gifts of the Spirit and their proper function and use within the body of Christ. And so Paul writes here, with, contained particularly within these three chapters, like an operational handbook. This is how the gift, these are what the gifts are, and these are how they are to function. So the first thing that we need to settle again is an understanding of the Holy Spirit himself. And some of this is going to be a little bit of review from, from last time. So I'm going to go a little bit quickly through some of the first part of this. But again, we need to understand the Holy Spirit. And first of all, that the Holy Spirit is a real being, the third person of the Trinity. And by Trinity, we mean that God reveals himself in Scripture as one singular God who reveals himself in three persons or personalities. Now, it isn't that God has split personality, okay? But it is that he reveals himself in three different ways, though he is one singular God. And that is the concept of the Trinity. One God revealed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the third part of the Trinity that we're talking about here in these chapters. But God is a singular God, revealing himself in a plurality. That's called the Trinity. It goes all the way back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word God in Hebrew is Elohim. Elohim is a plural word. Elohim, in the beginning, God created. The word created in Hebrew is bara. And it is singular in Genesis 1.1. A singular verb modifying a plural noun. Why? Because God is a single God, thus a singular verb, but he reveals himself in a plurality, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the Hebrew uh, scriptures, one of the things that the Jewish people uh, pride themselves on most is the great Shema. And they recite it in synagogues today all over the world. And in Deuteronomy 6, 4, it simply says this, The Lord our God, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And even in the great Shema, it reveals the plurality of a single God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In synagogues all across the world, they recite this regularly at Shabbat. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloanu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And the Hebrew word is Echad. But echad means not just simply a singular number, it is also a compound number. In Genesis 2.24, where it speaks about marriage, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Right? Two become 
one flesh. And the Hebrew word for one, as in one flesh, is echad. They're two distinct people, but they share a singular unity. So that word, even echad, can be used in the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures to mean a single number, but it can also be used, and I won't give other examples, of a unity and a plurality. The example being, of course, even marriage. So, when we speak of God as a singular God, He, however, reveals Himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and now the Holy Spirit is this third part of the Trinity. They are all co-equal, and they've all coexisted forever, and will forever endure. But this aspect of the, of the Trinity that we're talking about is, in fact, the Holy Spirit. So, the second point about the Holy Spirit is that He has always existed being co-equal and co-eternal with God, as I mentioned a moment ago. Again, as I said a few weeks ago, please resist the tendency of referring to the Holy Spirit as it. The Holy Spirit takes on personality in Scripture. Um, Jesus uses personal pronouns in John 14 when he speaks about the Comforter or the Counselor who will come. We see in the Bible that the Holy Spirit has a mind in 1 Corinthians 2.11, a will, 1 Corinthians 12.11, and emotion in Ephesians 4.30. So, ascribe unto the Holy Spirit the personage that he deserves. He is a third part of the Godhead. Then we talked a little bit, I'm going to just whiz through this as quickly as I can as well, the role of the Holy Spirit, and the role of the Holy Spirit, four things real quickly. Number one, to convict the world of sin, John 16, 8, Jesus said, and to guide us into all truth, John 16, 13. You can go back, by the way, on the teaching library and put me on pause, because I'm going to sail through some of this stuff. Uh, number three, the role of the Holy Spirit is also to testify of and glorify Jesus, and uh, also to indwell and empower believers for salvation and for service. And, and that's really, that fourth one is really the main thing that we're reading about here through, through chapters 12, 13, and 14. It is talking about the, the infilling and empowering of the Holy Spirit, uh, not just for salvation, but also for service. The people here in 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing to believers. In, in, in fact, he, he speaks to them as brothers it's a you know universal term. We don't want to leave the cisterns out either. Uh, this is this is to believers, brothers and sisters, and so th- these are believers who have already been saved. But the proper functioning of the empowering of the Holy Spirit is something that is somewhat foreign to them that Paul's going to give instruction about. So let's talk about the gifts of the Spirit and their proper use in the church. Again, the spiritual gifts that are mentioned here in chapter twelve have a twofold purpose as Scripture teaches us. The twofold purpose of the gifts of the Spirit are one, for the edification of the church, and number two, for the glorification of God. The edification of the church, if you'll jump over to chapter 14 and look at verse 26, it tells us clearly that the gifts are to be used to help build up and to help strengthen the church. Because as we each use our various gifts that God has given us, it encourages each other. It builds each other up. And so in chapter 14, 26, Paul writes, What then shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, 
a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. For the strengthening of the church. And then point number two is for the glorification of God. And I'll just read from 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11 says this, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So these are the two main purposes. Now, I will tell you, that if you look into various commentaries about spiritual gifts, that there are some differences as to how many gifts there are mentioned throughout the New Testament. And people have come up with various lists by looking at various verses. And some of the lists will vary because um, some verses you you might look at and, and there's disagreement. Like, well, is he really saying that that's a gift? And so the list, I will tell you, will vary a little bit from scholar to scholar. In general, the list I'm going to be going off of, there are 20. There are 20 gifts that are mentioned between 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, and Ephesians chapter 4. Those three main chapters give us 20 gifts of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and Ephesians chapter 4. Now, for our Bible study, we're not going to be looking into Romans 12 or Ephesians 4. So we're going to be looking at these uh, gifts that are mentioned here in 1 Corinthians, and the ones that are listed for us are all in chapter 12, and there are a total of 13. There are nine gifts that are mentioned at the beginning of this chapter that I just read between verses uh, 7 and 11. And then there are four additional gifts mentioned at the end of this chapter. And we might get to them tonight, and we may not. And so between the beginning and the end of chapter 12, there are a total of 13 spiritual gifts that he's going to mention. Nine gifts at the beginning and an additional four at the end. So we're going to be looking at these, and what I'm going to first do is I'm going to give you a basic definition of these gifts that are mentioned here between verses 7 through 11. We're going, to, we're going to work through these nine, and I'm going to give you kind of just a working definition for each of these gifts, and we're going to talk about them a little bit. And I'm even going to interject a little bit of my own personal story, not that that's important, but just kind of just to help you understand you know, my personal experience with, with some of the gifts of the Spirit. And, and, um, and as we go through this, though, I will tell you, this is not going to be a completely exhaustive study of these spiritual gifts, but I'm going to do my best to give at least a cursory overview. I would recommend, however, if you want an exhaustive study of the gifts of the Spirit, my favorite book on the gifts of the Spirit, written by my former pastor who's now gone on to be with the Lord, Pastor Chuck Smith of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, wrote this book years ago called Living Water. And this book is in my opinion, the most comprehensive and yet the easiest read about gifts of the Spirit than anything else I know out there. I'm a little biased because I I love Pastor Chuck, but but this is is a great resource. Now, if you look between, again, verses 7 and 11, there are nine gifts in these five verses. 
depending on the translation, they're gonna, the words are going to be a little bit different. So, I, for example, message slash word of wisdom. In the NIV, it says message of wisdom. New King James and King James says word of wisdom. Um, I, I will probably refer to it more as word of wisdom and word of knowledge than message of wisdom or message of knowledge, but, but th- that's just differences in the translation. And so, first definition, message or word of wisdom is the inspired insight or answer to a problem or question. God, by the way, gives these gifts liberally just as He determines. Okay, notice again verse 11. It says, all these are the work of of the one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one just as He determines. So as we go through this list, you might come to realize you have this particular gift. You may have several gifts. It is as God determines. I also, you know, don't have any biblical basis to say that once you are given a particular gift, you may not acquire another one later. God may choose to give you a word of wisdom at different times, and and then you don't, you know, necessarily exercise that again. I, you know, God can do whatever He wants in the distribution of these gifts. You know, we have to be careful that we don't pigeonhole God into, you know, here's the formula, here's what He always does, and here's the way He does it. One of the beautiful things about the ministry of Jesus, when you study Jesus' ministry, is He always He always mixed it up a little bit. You know, when people needed healing, for example, sometimes he spoke the word and somebody was healed. Sometimes he laid hands on them and they were healed. Sometimes he would spit and mix it with mud and heal somebody. Okay, so God is not bound by a formula when it comes to these gifts. And so as he distributes these gifts, you you may very well see some of these operational in your life. The word of wisdom is a gift that God gives for a particular matter at hand. The word of wisdom is not a reservoir of wisdom. By the way, we're all told in the Bible to pray for wisdom. All of us should pray for wisdom. And James tells us you have not because you ask not. A lot of times we don't have wisdom because we simply don't ask God. So we all need to pray for wisdom and hopefully we can operate in wisdom. But this is different. This is a gift of wisdom. And what happens is that God will supernaturally give you insight or an answer to a certain situation for a certain matter that you know is not because you're smart enough. You, you know that God gave you that, or somebody gave you a word of wisdom, because God was bearing witness to your heart or their heart about a particular thing. So it's not, don't see it as some reservoir that, you know, you're super wise more than anybody else, and you can tap into that reservoir anytime you jolly well want. It doesn't work like that. It works on assignment as God determines to give you a word of wisdom for some critical issue or important decision. Let me give you an example. And even though the gifts of the Holy Spirit became manifest in the New Testament, we still see the Holy Spirit operational in the Old Testament. And I would submit to you that when Solomon had the wisdom from heaven about the baby, that was a word of wisdom. Remember in the Old Testament where there were two moms who claimed that one baby belonged to both of them. One was a liar and one was telling the truth. And what did Solomon do? In that age-old wisdom, we even refer to Solomonic wisdom because we talk about how he said, well, why don't you go ahead and cut that baby in half and I'll split it. Since you guys can't figure out who the real mom is, I'll give, I'll give one of you the head and I'll give the others the legs. 
Yeah, and what happens is, most of you know the story. The real mom spoke up and said, "No, no, 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 no! Don't, don't you ever do such a thing. You can give it. You can give it to her." And then Solomon knew. Then you're, you must be the mom because you were quick to defend this child, like only a mother would. That was a word of wisdom. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection as we dig into the book of 1 Corinthians. The issues and situations that Paul was addressing in this letter to the Corinthian church are the same issues that churches face today. It's bold and courageous that Paul faced those things head on, and it would be negligent for churches today to not do the same. Despite the idolatry and sin that was running rampant in this culture, Paul encouraged the believers to be a light that shines in a dark world. You can be this today in the dark world that surrounds you. Be a light that glows brilliantly and stands out against the dark blanket of sin that surrounds you. If you're ever in the Leesburg, Virginia area, we'd love to meet you in person at Cornerstone Chapel. Stop in for a service this Sunday at 8.30, 10, or 11.45, or join us for our Bible study and fellowship on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Pastor Gary would love to hear your story and how you came to know about the radio ministry of Cornerstone Connection. Find out more details, such as where we're located, at cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have for today, but join us next time to learn more from the book of 1 Corinthians, right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul, that you've got no place to go, but still you know. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.